0: Welcome to another episode of the Uphill Athlete podcast. I'm your host and co-founder of Uphill Athlete, Scott Johnston. And today I'm gonna be discussing um, some of the lessons that I've learned and that um, we've learned about how to manage a training plan, a stock training plan that's laid out for you. Um, And to help me with that discussion, I'm gonna have my good friend Sam Naney, one of the lead coaches at uh, Uphill Athlete, Join me in this discussion welcome sam hi scott thanks for bringing me on yeah this is something that you and i have uh lived through many times over and so i think we might be able to inform people on some of the things i mean i would say that you know one of the one of the best things about a good coach is that they've made a hell of a lot of mistakes and I think you and I know these things. I mean, I certainly made mistakes when I was coaching. Any of you that that are listening that haven't heard it, you know, this, um, Sam and I have a long history as um, coach athlete. And if you're interested in knowing a little more about that, the one of our earliest podcasts when we started this whole thing was was me interviewing Sam and kind of going over that history. But so Sam and I have been down this road, um, you know, the mistake road, and certainly one of the I think one of the biggest mistakes that we see repeatedly with people that are not being coached but people who are following a training plan is that they approach the training plan as if it was uh, an act of god you know it's perfect it was handed down from on high and you know that it's going to say what you're supposed to do six thursdays from now um and i think that what we want to do is uh explain to people the error of, of that thinking of that process would
1: you agree yeah yeah exactly um i mean i think it, it it's it's easy to misconstrue getting a training plan as the thing which you know, you are just supposed to follow, and that's that's what the dedication of being an athlete is: is you have this plan, and and no matter how challenging it is, you you accomplish all of those tasks, and in doing so, you achieve this outcome. Uh, but that that doesn't take into account the fact that we're human beings and all the other things that come into play in life, as well as with training and recovery and how you respond to any given stimulus uh, are going to affect that plan. We can't make specific, you know, it's it's hard enough to make specific plans about our general life 2 weeks from now, much less how we're going to feel physically under all of these physical loads.
0: Yeah, that's and that, that's what we we get people coming to us from time to time, you know, who buy our stock training plans and and I want to you know, something I've said a a lot to people privately and so I'll make a public statement here that you know really any idiot can write a training plan. <laughs> <laughs> but really the skill is in effectively, you know, actualizing that plan and having good getting good results from it. And so, it, and I don't care who writes the plan. I mean, I think we write great training plans and there are lots of great training plans out there um, by other coaches. And so that it's not that the problem is in the actual writing of the plan, it's in how do you administer it so you get good results. And you know, we're not here today, especially to sell you on coaching, but the difference between a training plan and coaching is that with coach and athlete you know, communications and feedback, the coach can suggest hey you know maybe we ought to try this tomorrow Maybe let's change up you know instead of doing that cuz i can see you're still tired from whatever we did on thursday or wednesday or whatever and that flexibility that dynamism that you get in a um with a coach situation is is missing for most people um in with a with a training plan
1: yeah and well and i i think having you can get certainly you know you can have a plan that is either written generally for you or toward the general public that has good substantial work in there and it's you know it, it progresses and so you can safely say that if if the plan dictates that you need to be at this starting point whether you know running 30 miles a week or doing this much work at the entry point of the plan that you know you can proceed and and have a reasonable assumption of success it's just it's you know, as you said, it's it's impossible to account for for the variables and how people recover, and being able to determine that stuff on a day to day basis uh, is really difficult for for an athlete to do to to be able to to evaluate it objectively um, without without somebody looking in who's not necessarily personally immediately invested in you know you um, driving as hard as possible to the finish line.
0: You know, and I think that. Um Something that we've taken that into consideration, um, knowing this very well about these stock training plans that that we or anybody else writes, and it's you know you our audience I think knows this. we have written you know literally millions of words on this subject, and we've got two books out we've got lots of articles on the website, and the purpose of that information, if you haven't taken advantage of it, so you understand why it's there it's to help you learn how to coach yourself because we know very well that most people are not going to be able either whether they have the the desire or the the financial wherewithal to hire a coach they're going to be self-coached and in order to do that well you need to understand how a coach would look at this training and be able and um, to make reasonable decisions I mean obviously you're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage because you can't you' you're you're emotionally and and physically completely Im- immersed in this training and it's hard to separate yourself out of it and that's you know what the beauty of the coach is that they's as sam said they're kind of um objective third party standing off to the side but you do have the opportunity to um to learn this stuff so that when you get into situations where there's any sort of doubts in your mind you um you hopefully have at least a few guidelines to kind of keep you um moving in the right direction you know you're going to make mistakes that's you know a given this is not an easy thing to do i mean it's very easy when we're writing these books or on the website to talk about the theory of you know how the mitochondria work and you know what will happen if you do 30 30s and all that kind of stuff we we know those things pretty well but how are they going to work when you know in the real world on a day-to-day basis and how are you going to deal with the variability that inevitably comes because you know we're not machines we're not um, you know, the same input on this week might not re- uh, yield the same results as that same input, you know, last week or the week next week.
1: Well, and I think the mistakes part is is critical to the process. I mean, it's it's through it's through making those mistakes that we hopefully learn something from. It. Like you think about the different training techniques and and sort of methods that we were playing around with years ago, and 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 still somewhat to this day. Like it wasn't you know we never hit the mark the first time with you know the musc a muscular endurance workout or the the uh, track interval progression things like that like usually you sort of hit somewhere near it and and something falls short or you overshoot and you kind of readjust recalibrate and you move forward to the next one and i think that's you know when when people are evaluating how to you know put together their own training plan from the materials that that are out there as you said like not only the stuff that uphill athlete puts out, but you know the, the myriad other options that you have, and books and literature and, and talks to learn about training. Um, it's you know part of the process is learning. Okay, well these are the these are the methods I need to use. I need to determine my aerobic threshold and do this much mileage and do this kind of strength workout. But it, it it's taking it a step beyond that and understanding what's going to be the impact on me personally when I do this much mileage per week or when i you know go uphill at at this rate or when i do this strength workout because it's it's going to be totally different than than the person standing right next to you literally um you know the way the the response i get from the the first workout of the first stage of the muscular endurance progression is going to be very different than you know you know the person standing next to me and so the way i approach it or they approach it is going needs we need to be cognizant of that and i think that's when we talk to athletes and, and, or write about this and, and certainly talking about it now, that's what I really encourage people to be looking at is not only saying, well, I know, you know muscular endurance or you know, a certain amount of volume at aerobic threshold is really critical, so I'm going to put that in a plan. I'm just going to go do it. It's thinking about how, how do I respond to strength training, or, or I want to be observant of how I respond to strength training. And, and in turn, then you can better craft how that plan is going to best serve you Because it's all incredibly individual. Yeah, and uh, certainly that's,
0: that comes, I think, from the experience of having, you know, coached a lot of people. Um, I think one of the reasons, and I'll go back to this, I think one of the reasons we are pretty damn good coaches is that we have made a lot of mistakes, usually on ourselves years ago. We have the system <laughs> yeah. pretty well figured out, I think now. We don't. We try not to do it. You know, it's like we're a little bit like doctors. First of all, do no, no, do no harm. But one of the most influential coaches in my career, um, you know, reading his, what he's um, written and listening to what he said, has been uh, Renato Canova, and I've referenced him many times over in my writings and in the books. And one of the, a couple of things that Canova has said that I think bear repeating here is first of all, that training is not what you do, it's not the work you do, it's the effect that that work has on your body. And that echoes what Sam was just talking about um, in terms of, you know, people being different. And another, I think, Canova is uh, widely regarded as one of the greatest um, running coaches ever to live. He's coached more world champions, world record holders, Olympic champions, um, in all distances from the 800 meters to the marathon, so he's got a vast amount of experience. And some, Another little nugget that I dug out from his writings years ago was that he could have, and he's talking about elite level here, he could have 10 of his athletes do the exact same workout and he would expect 10 different responses because we're not the same, you know, we're gonna be, and and I think when you, these are all people that are highly trained and so had a a very concentrated uh, approach to their training. So you would think if anybody's gonna be physiologically pretty similar in their response would be this group. So when you take it down to an amateur recreational level, where we don't really know, what are these people's backgrounds? You know, what is their history of training? Um, we don't know their age. We don't know, of course, anything about their genetics and how they're gonna adapt to, the, to this stuff. And so I think it's, that makes it much more important to, to at least make an attempt uh, to become kind of a student of the sport. And like understand why this is happening, and not just blindly said, okay, it's supposed I'm supposed to do ten reps of blah blah blah, or I'm supposed to do you know ten four hundreds at this kind of a pace or whatever it is, um, and understand why you're doing it, so that you know if you as you know you're the you're the observer on the ground right then if you say huh this doesn't feel like it's doing what i think it should do then you you know it's it's good to question that stuff and maybe it isn't doing what it's supposed to do
1: yeah yeah and 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 in the as you said it's not as if in in a in the coaching situation where you the athlete has this advocate and um, observer and, and assistance from from a coach you know we're we're still doing that same thing like when i have an athlete who is you know aiming toward a, a particular objective and in my mind i can think of well these are the various strategies that i that have been helpful in the past for different athletes and or maybe for that athlete in another context and like well let's let's try this and you know you apply it with the you know the best understanding you can have about that person as well as what the workout tends to produce in in terms of uh, an outcome, but also you know how people need to recover from and such. But you know, you're, it's always a best guess. You know, when you're when you're creating whether whether it's a a, a, a laid out stock plan of, of many weeks or it's a week by week progression that you're providing, you're taking your best guess at what you think is going to create um, a desired return and without causing undue harm. Uh, but but you're do, you're doing that knowing like you, you might need to adjust, and so that that's where again that like always observing and, and I think the you know was, uh, listening listening to your conversation with with Mike Foot on the podcast that, that we just released and you guys were talking about how you know especially now with you know races in 2020 have been put on the back burner and people are you know it's sort of forcing a lot of us to evaluate you know what do we really appreciate about. Um, sport and, and how valuable it is to really uh, look at training and, and the process as this, as, as a craft, as, you know, as, as the process that it is. And, and so kind of embracing that and thinking about it uh, more holistically, like we're saying of like, what is this workout going to do for me? And, and how can I sort of evaluate the returns on it and move forward from it? Um, that's, that's, that's where I think athletes can get the greatest gains, not by just trying to be an automaton and saying, well, I need to accomplish A through Z, and when I get to Z, then the outcome is this, and then there I am, and, I'm a, yeah. and I race. Uh-huh. Right. It's, yeah. it's just not, it's not linear in that way, and I think if, if we can you know, look positively on the idea that it is um, a process that needs to be dynamic, uh, it, it, it's enjoyable as well as being more functional.
0: Yeah, and, and yeah, the sort of embracing the process and thinking about okay, this is a long-term thing. I'm going to learn how to do this. You know, it's like learning anything. It's a skill. It's going to take time. And and if you are doing an you know an experiment on yourself, you know, you only have one person to observe. And uh, it it so it, it I think this is this speaks very uh, clearly about the importance of having a training log, and you know, keeping a record of what you're doing. You know as people who are familiar with what we do understand we use um, a third-party online platform called training peaks that i think does a remarkably good job um and i don't we could not remotely coach the people we're doing without it i think i don't there unless there's some you know we'd have to substitute another similar type of platform there are a couple but it's really quite a good one but even if you don't do something as as dramatic as, as you know putting your stuff onto training peaks I mean, for years, Sam and I and many of the athletes we've worked with just keep a spiral notebook, you know, the, what they did on a day. And, um, you know, we do have the the uphill athlete training log that people can use as a template to develop this, but it's it's not rocket science, you know, just writing down like, as almost like a diary, what you did and then how you felt about what you did. And not just on that day, but maybe like, you know, let's say you do one of these muscular endurance workouts or some other really big, challenging workout for you and when two days later your legs are still tired will make a note of that in somewhere in your logbook that says huh boy, that that workout was still in my legs two or three days later I need to consider that moving forward so that you know I'm not planning a muscular endurance workout on on Tuesday and thinking that by Thursday I'm gonna go do some intervals or something Mm -hmm. like that you know they're gonna be you know dramatically affected if you do that and you know this Another really simple thing that I, I'm, I'm quite certain I put this in both the books it's certainly I know it's in The, um, the uh, alpinism training for the new alpinism book and that is Grading you know subjectively grading workouts with an A through F essentially, you know So that an A was a workout where you feel like Superman and you know B is a good workout And maybe C is sort of a whole okay day nothing special And D is, you know, something where, oh boy, I had to cut it short and F, of course, would be, you know, you couldn't couldn't finish and or maybe didn't even start the workout. And having some very simplistic method like that of tracking how the training is affecting you allows you to even just with a quick scan, look back through that notebook and say, huh, I had three D's last week. No wonder I'm feeling like crap this week. Yeah. And if you don't have that that you can look back retrospectively, it's, you know, it's hard. We can only we can only learn by looking at backwards at, at what we've done, I think, you know, how and the effect it had. Um, and then hopefully learning some lessons from that and applying them going forward so that we, you know, either capitalize on the knowledge we gained, which is to say, whoa, that was really cool. That work, you know that workout turned out really well, or oh my god, I I got a I don't think I you know, executed that very well or whatever and I believe that one of the things that, um, one of the uh, things that Sam and I, you know, Sam was really a, a critical part of developing many of the uphill athlete training methodologies during his ski career. He was kind of a guinea pig for many of these things. and. You know, there were mistakes made and we, we could, luckily for us, we could fairly quickly, you know, course correct and abandon those things and say, okay, well, that didn't work so well. Or we could say, hmm, that has promise. Maybe we we'll would try that this way next time do it a little bit different. And you do that, you know, in our case for seven or eight years and you're going to end up with a pretty darn Good idea of, especially in this case, I learned out what worked well for Sam, but I also at the same time was coaching a lot of other people, and you know, I'd had previous experience with what worked and what didn't work, so I wasn't coming at this from zero. But it's that trial and error process, rather than and and learning from those mistakes, rather than just saying, "Well, I was reading you know, a Runner's World article the other day that said, you know, if you want to run your best 10K, you should do blah blah blah." Right. Right. Well, and, and I think that's you know, that's such a disservice to to have that kind of literature out there, and it, there's a there's a prevalence of that now with the internet. I think it's so easy for people to just pontificate about ideas like that.
1: Well, and I think yeah, and it it, <clears throat> it comes comes around as well to the um idea that i think you talked about on another podcast but we talk about this a lot of sort of managing expectations uh and 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 how you know we i acknowledge and i think it's really important to have to be able to set goals and set objectives for what you want to do with your training and what you want to achieve and you know Oftentimes we get athletes, well, most of the time, when, when athletes come to us for, for some sort of uh, training help, it's with a goal in mind. And that's really valuable because it, can, it helps us determine, okay, here's the trajectory of training, uh, but it's also really incentivizing and it's motivating because you know it's there. But I think it's, there's a tricky or a careful balance that you need to strike in identifying the goal uh, or the objective and, uh, but managing the expectations of, as how you get there. Uh, because i think we you know again we have this this idea that you know if i if i if i do a b c through z then i achieve the goal and and that sometimes works but it sometimes doesn't and along the way maybe you determine that it's actually this goal that you're aiming for or that you need to train more or train differently or whatever it might be there are a myriad of, of possible avenues that end up uh, being need to be taken but i think the the risk that is run, as you said, with having, um, you know, the, the, the culture of, you know, just do this and then you'll have this great experience or, or, you know, the guarantee, like we're, you know, we're very careful not to guarantee that if you, if you train with us for six months, you will achieve this goal. Cause we have no idea, you know, you don't have, you don't have any idea where an athlete is coming from, what's going to happen in that time, how they're going to respond to training. And, uh, I think that can be, um, the over, overstating or or tying yourself too closely to expectations can um, can can run a risk of you know, wouldn't necessarily say failure but just derailment you know and it, and it, and it's it's just really challenging to to manage that I think again it comes back to that you know appreciating the process. And and knowing that it's going to happen differently for you than it did for your you know friend or or someone you've read about, and it's also going to happen differently for you at age forty-five than at thirty-five, or you know or before or after uh, injury or sickness or anything like that, and
0: certainly with regards to that the whole kind of mountain sport world that we live in, I think this is doubly true. Because there's so many environmental factors that are just completely beyond anyone's control. You know, you can be in the best shape of your life when you go off on a big expedition to faraway land, and you might sit in your tent for three weeks with the weather, or the avalanche conditions are too hazardous, and you can't climb. Or you know, there are a whole lot of things can go wrong in a 24-hour-long race, and you know, that are pretty much beyond your control. You can try to prepare for them, and. And we understand I mean the reason that our books and our website focus so much on training is that that's you know when you go into the mountains that's the one thing you have some control over you know is your physical preparedness and and hopefully your mental preparedness, but certainly your physical preparedness that's something we are experts at, and we do know how to get people you know as as ready as they can probably be given the time frame and you know all the other um, extenuating circumstances working with different individuals but there, um, there's still going to be a myriad of un, unforeseen things that can that can derail your um, approach or derail your success, I should say. And I think it's it's really important to you know if the summit is all that matters to you, or the you know standing on the podium of the race or whatever, this is going to be a very disappointing process for most people because this is really something that. Um, you know it's the process it's really the reward i think and and you know from and I think for most endurance athletes can get that yeah. because you know the work the training is to a large extent repetitive, kind of mundane, not very glamorous or sexy um does not make good youtube videos, and you know you have to be you know that has to be you have to embrace that and say that's okay that's what I want to do because I want to be able to go on and do these other things um it's not going to be you know all foot in games that's for sure
1: no no and it's i mean i'm I'm just thinking about it you know it's it's easy to somewhat easy to you know to say that i mean i i think about the the times when you know i've been injured or gotten sick i remember getting mono uh sort of like we had just started to kind of crack the crack the code a little bit on on training um you know ski ski training and and in particular like what what sort of training was going to serve me best uh for for racing and we we're starting to navigate that really well and then you know i started getting these strange symptoms and fatigue and it turns out i had mono you know and like that you know i had so many expectations built up about what that what that next season was going to be and you know the, the mono diagnosis came in like right about now this time of year was, so like late fall I think it was
0: September really wasn't it yeah. yeah
1: yeah we were at that training camp in Sun Valley and the US ski team we were there with the US ski team and you know really motivated and, and trying to ski strong and, and then this this like thing came crashing down and and that was you know and then you know it just had this sense of like I don't even have I, I don't have the capability to navigate this. You know, it had just been something that I hadn't really encountered before. I hadn't had any significant traumatic injuries prior to that. I hadn't um like it you know just been steady steps upward that, you know, while we didn't necessarily know exactly what the training was going to be, we could safely assume that, you know, over time things were gonna I was gonna improve and until this happened. And um like that was a really you know and, and in saying all this, like I, I'm I'm enunciating like despite going through that experience, I still don't have a good, um, I'm not that great at managing those unforeseen circumstances. And I think that, you know, it, saying all that to, to emphasize like this idea of knowing how to manage expectations and knowing how to embrace the process is it's really important, but it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do on your own when you are, you know, you're, we're all really motivated people, and as you said, like people that are drawn to these mountain sports and um, individual, individually oriented things, where you're you're trying to push your your physical limits and, and mental limits, uh, we're you know type A, <laughs> you know we're really yeah. we're really motivated to do that stuff, and so it's really difficult to cut yourself the slack that's mm-hmm. needed when that trajectory gets yeah. skewed, um, and it yeah it. it as i said like i i still you know have i still have difficulty taking the rest day when i'm supposed to Mm -hmm. which which is really makes me feel really sheepish to say because i feel like that's one of the things that i really pay attention to in coaching athletes is like that's i am i aim to be really observant about what are people's responses to every day to every day of training you know how are you feeling how did this feel how about that that little niggle that you're feeling in your foot was that bothering you today and you know, and, and reading that, reading their responses, reading between the lines, and then determining when and where to provide the rest. Um, but it's it's always a different story when it's yourself. Yeah, uh,
0: it, it's almost, I mean, it, it's very, it's extremely rare to see a, um, someone achieve a high level of success, self-coaching regardless of their level of knowledge even. I mean, Killian would be, you know, he's an incredible exception in many ways, but yeah. you know, the fact that he yeah. coaches himself and... Because he takes rest days. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like it's the, yeah. The, the little known fact. Yes. <laughs>
0: but I think it's, you know, we've seen, we've seen a lot of good athletes try and fail to coach themselves. And, and again, that was one of the main things that spurred me to write all these words in these books is say, hey, hey you know, this is going to be hard to do to self-coach. But here's some of the things that, that I and we have learned over the years about how you can try to manage this, some of this stuff, and how you need to be, you know, realistic about it. And uh, you know, in your case with that mono, I mean, it just cut your legs right out from under you. But you know, it was. I remember that. You know, I know. I remember the disappointment, of course, in when we were, I mean, we just kind of came to light in Sun Valley, and we just went, what in the heck is wrong with Sam? He just can't get out of his own way all of a sudden. I mean literally almost overnight you went from, you know, being one of the fastest skiers in the country to, you know, barely being able to finish the workout. And so that was a you know challenge. Then you got home and you got a test and went, Oh, that at least explains what was going on. It wasn't a training issue. It wasn't, right. overtraining, it wasn't overtraining. that kind of stuff. And so we go, Okay, we got a medical problem here. And the only thing we could do and it was to follow the doctor's advice. And you basically had to, you know, sit around sit around for you know, was it like almost two months, pretty much, to get over it? I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I. I mean, and and that's the thing, like I think in the grand scheme of things, I I knew of plenty of people who for whom mono and and similar illnesses knocked them out for far longer. Like in that way, I was really fortunate. Like it didn't. It wasn't a tremendously long time, and and I even ended up having a, a halfway decent. Sort of recovery and, and racing season well, you had that a, year. That was a good um, season. I mean, I, that was your
0: best to date. Your best results yeah. at U.S. Nationals. So it came. And it so came by, back. So around. by January, we managed to get you back on track pretty well. I mean, you weren't as fast as you would have been if you had been able to train for October, November. That's for sure. Yeah. But we did manage to salvage something of the season. Um, and I think coping with certainly coping with injury and illness is one of the most difficult. Uh, things to navigate for an athlete. And people who listen to that podcast I did with Mike Foote will uh, know that, you know, Mike's been dealing with, uh, or well, he's over it now, luckily. But starting late last winter, early spring, he began to develop some, you know, he struggled with some plantar fasciitis, and then he struggled with some patellar tendonitis. And, you know, it just pretty much like you, it knocked him out and he couldn't train for a while. And then he, we could start easing back into it and we started using the bicycle a bit. Um, and you know it, so that's, let's say we really kind of were, became super proactive in dealing with this probably in April. And now it is October and I would say he's back to full training again. But that's a long time for a Type A personality to, you know, not be able to do the thing they love to do. I mean, he was training, but yeah. it was at a such a reduced level that you know, I, you know, he understood that, and so did I. But you know, we had to get beyond that, and I, I think people need to give themselves the grace when they're injured or sick to you know don't like we say this over again and over and over again in the books and on the website and in our you know in all the talks we've done i think is don't try to train through injury and illness you know yeah. it's just you know, the there yeah maybe you're tough enough or lucky enough that you could do it i mean i yeah i know a few people who yeah it's just a, it's just a cold and i'll be fine and yeah it turns out to be that they were right but to me it's just you know on a general advice scale i'd say it's not worth it to risk it because that simple little cold can pretty easily turn into bronchitis, and then you're out for a month. You know, yeah. real and and likewise, you know, you get you know you get up in the morning and you can feel that plantar fascia. It's really you know that's when it um, really you really feel it usually, and then you think, oh yeah, but after I walk around for a while, it feels great. Well, I'm going to go out and do those intervals that I was supposed to, you know it says I'm supposed to do, and then the next morning you
1: can't even get out of bed because the plantar fasciitis is so bad. Well, and that's the I think in. Many respects, like the types of injuries that oftentimes, at least, the types of injuries that um, particularly runners and, and endurance athletes incur, they're not often the big traumatic, catastrophic injuries. They're it's overuse, or it's you know it's something you know, or or in 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 case of an illness, you know, short of a you know a severe you know mandatory hospitalization type illness you know it's 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 they're almost insidious right so you get mm. you you know that this thing has occurred you know that it's a setback but it's not so much that it you know com- completely puts you on your back you know and and that and and provides you this mandated schedule of recovery it's like like i remember you know Allison she broke her leg uh several years ago skiing and you know, it was horrible and and it was you know, it was a hard really difficult time for her and and she had to Reevaluate our, all her goals. But, you know, on, on the other side of that, and I think she'd acknowledge this, it was, uh, it was like, this is your recovery. It's pretty Even clear cut. In, yeah. like, you have a broken bone. Yeah, you've like, got a cast on your leg. You're yeah. not going to go do these other things. And yeah. by no means did that make the actual healing process easier, but there's there no question that she wasn't going to go out and try to ski yeah. three days later.
0: In some ways, it and, makes it easier because then, you know, I, I, going back to the whole type A thing, I think one of the problems for us type A's is that if we don't, complete what we what's in the plan or what we expect ourselves to do, we're gonna feel guilty about it. And then we're gonna feel like we're, you know, wimping out or whatever. Totally. And and when it's clear cut like that, like you've got hundred and three fever and you're in bed, well, okay, that's no question about what you're doing. You got a broken leg, no question about what you're gonna have to do. But there's all that gray area where, you know, you you don't feel very good, you can tell something's wrong, or maybe you have a, a little cold or something. And I just feel that it's there's so much downside risk that it's worth saying okay I'm just not training today and you know hopefully by tomorrow I'll feel better and oftentimes you know, I think for most people the common cold is like a three or four day occurrence and usually you can get back to training pretty quickly so I'm I've just learned over the years as a, a general rule to advise people that you know when you get sick or have these little niggling things just take you know miss a few days it's not that's not going to be the end of the world it's a yeah. lot better than you know, having an injury that then hangs on for six months. Totally.
1: No, and I, I, like, and and it's different for every, you know, I think you can develop different methods. I know we've, we've told people before that, you know, if you have, you know, particularly with something like a cold that you should basically take as many days as you were sick and feeling symptoms after that to sort of ease back into work. And, you know, and, and that can be helpful for people. So then you actually have this, this plan right so to speak like you can because we all do you know you like to have something to follow and and when I had mono I remember I had um, a lot of really valuable advice from a, a physician here who had himself had mono when he was a young athlete and and he had you know a cautionary tale about getting started too soon and so he was really clear with me that I needed to give it the time that it needed and you know because there's this it's it's a it's a disease that stays in your system. Like it never go. You you always have those antibodies in your system. And if you're not careful about it, you can, you can basically relapse into um into into you know symptoms of of mono. So he basically put the fear of God into me uh, against trying to get started too soon. And and that information combined with, you know, I knew I could you know every week basically I went in and I I had a blood test and and checked for you know what what antibodies were present to determine my level of readiness and you know that that was really helpful for me I think you know that's again coming back to that idea that when you're when you're just when you're kind of sick you're never feeling quite right or you've got that soft tissue injury that you can you can get out the door and after 10 minutes it loosens up and you can do your workout but then it's pretty tight afterward and you can go on for weeks or months like that some people and, do and we've all done it yeah we've all done it and and I think that's you know it it um
0: and sometimes you dodge the bullet with those things, you know, right, sometimes, sometimes they never, gradually
1: go away, yeah it never gets or, worse and, and you never know that, but it can also be the derailment that yeah. never gets you fully back on your feet and I think that's you know it it there's it it kind of brings to mind a similar idea you know whether it's physical or you know in some cases it's mental and I was um Alice and I have been talking a lot about this and and I think I spoke with you about it too, this idea that. You know, it's 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 important to give yourself a break periodically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with with regard to training. You know, these these sports that we're that we're all really passionate about in mountain sports. You know, it's typically year long training. You're year round. You're mm-hmm. you're always in some different form of training or 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 chasing objectives uh, and. You know, we get caught up in that cycle and like, ski season's done, it's time to start running again and running season's done, the snow's falling in the mountains, we've got to sharpen the skis and get out there and uh, I've, I've become more and more uh, cognizant of the importance of basically taking a, taking a full break and, in, yeah. you know, in, as a transition, uh, one, you know, maybe once a year, maybe a couple times a year of, you know, maybe it's only a week, maybe it's two weeks, but, you know, it's, it, it can serve as that buffer against um, you know, physical burnout, you know overuse injuries and things like that where we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, uh, but also the mental one too because I think, again, we sort of continue to drive and drive toward the next objective and it's very difficult for us to cut ourselves slack and, and I think even more so now as you alluded to because we're all the more aware of what other people are doing. Uh, You know, if you if you're on Instagram or social media or really if you're just choosing to be, you know, be connected in some way, you're seeing that other athletes are, you know, chasing, you know, chasing snow somewhere or they're doing FKTs or or they're just, you know, they're going after their own, you know, personal personal challenge. That's it's going to be really difficult for you to then say, you know, I'm content to just sit. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I think it's a it's a challenge that we all have to face in terms of how to allow ourselves to just be part of our own individual process and and to cut as you said cut ourselves slack and and a break when it's needed. I think that's especially prevalent in
0: mountain communities, mountain towns. Yeah, <laughs> um, totally. Yeah, you
1: know, I I coach
0: some folks that live in Chamonix. and I mean, if there's a place where there's you know, people are constantly dealing with. FOMO you know the fear of missing out and because there's somebody's always every single day because there's so many people at a high level there every single day there is somebody doing something incredible and it's very easy to think oh my god I'm such a loser because I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing this whatever it yeah. is and you know and I've had to counsel them it's like hey don't don't get caught up in that I mean it's you know, you will have your moment in the sun. I promise you, if you just keep doing the training we're doing, but it's just you know when it's kind of especially with the kind of the current um, you know, social media barrage that we're kind of constantly under, it's pretty hard to avoid being exposed to that, and it, it oh, yeah. can make yeah. you feel um, that like you're, you're underperforming, you're under, you know, you're a loser, you're you're a wimp, you're not out there doing these things, and um, you know, I I've. Another little tidbit that I often tell um, athletes I work with is that because of this uh, this type A thing that we keep going back to is that if they have any doubts about whether they're prepared for that training that day, it's probably their body waving, trying to wave a big red flag saying, hey, I'm not... I'm not ready. Don't do this to me. Yeah. You know, and we can eat because we're type A's and we're mentally very strong. We can override that warning signal. that's coming in loud. It should be loud and clear, but it's often, you know, muted or yeah. we, we just disregard
1: it. And or we kind of it, take pride in pushing past it. Yeah. And that, like oh, I'm is this, this is where, this is where my toughness, tough, toughness yeah. quotient gets, and gets I, elevated. And I think
0: there's, there's a time and a place for that. I mean, you know, there's, I've talked to Killian about this, and and I think you, you know, we've seen this with you too. There are times when you need to dig deep in training, and you know, train or do a hard workout when you're tired. Or you know, there are instances where that can be beneficial. But if you make a steady diet of that, yeah. things are going to turn out badly pretty quickly. Um, you know that I think that's one of those, you know, sort of the, the Rocky Balboa mentality of, you know, everybody that, wants a training montage. Yeah, yeah everybody wants to just <laughs> yeah. think that, you know, I'm just every workout I have to end in you know, in a pool of sweat and blood on the floor or I haven't actually had a workout. And you know, real athletes don't train that way. They need you need to be able to save something in the tank for that day when it really matters yeah. whether it's the summit push or you know the last 10 miles of that 100 miler and if you have you know I mean I know as an, when I was a young athlete some of my best races were wasted in practice i mean i i had some of my very best results in practice sessions yeah <laughs> and that's yeah. that's crazy well, you
1: broke didn't you didn't you broke a record i did in, a, you know, One in, time, practice. in a, we
0: were it's when i was a swimmer in college we were doing a set of um, 10 by 200 meters. This is freestyle, 10 200s with a 30 second rest between each 200. And it was from a push off in the pool, not from a diving start. And I broke, I was swimming at the University of Colorado, I broke the big eight record for 200 meters and I like the fourth one of those repetitions <laughs> and but you know and that so that was like that should have been my race at right. you know the big eight championships for the national there's no, the there's national no medal at
1: the training yeah session.
0: nobody cared a, a whit. You know, people. Were, coach was kind of going, "Whoa, how did you swim so fast?" Or that he might say, "Why didn't you swim that fast last weekend when it mattered?" at <laughs> right. you know, the, the big meet. Yeah. And and I think mm-hmm. it, there are people <laughs> like that. And I think it's you know, I certainly you know, I was a workaholic as a as an athlete, and I think it really negatively impacted my my results in, in races where it, it mattered. You know, I certainly had the, I had the same problem when I shifted over to skiing, cross-country skiing, and, you know, I I could train with the best of them, literally, but when it came to race day, you know, I'd been all that effort that I'd been putting out during those uh, workouts would have been better saved for some of these you know important races like the Olympic tryouts or something <laughs> like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I and and it's that's, yeah, again managing expectations and sort of being being in it for for the process uh because yeah again especially because we're training you know if you're if you're involved in these types of sports it's a long process it's not the the two month training montage in Siberia mm-hmm. that Rocky did or whatever yeah. you know, mm-hmm. where where you just tend to dig deep and crush yourself for for a handful of sessions and then you come out you know, out of the chrysalis as this magnificent <laughs> specimen uh, it's That it, works I, great in Hollywood. It works <laughs> fantastic in Hollywood and we all I we all want a training montage but, it's, but it but it is inevitable that over the course of a long period of training there're going to be times where you feel fantastic i mean i remember and and i i still do it on sort of the the training diet that i have now or like some days i'll feel like super i'll feel really strong and i'll see myself doing you know having better times on this or that route and you know wishing that there had been a starting line mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and and, yeah. and it's it it's difficult to again coming back to that how to how to um uh, you know coach yourself or or evaluate your own um, your own training and and manage that well and, and as objectively as possible it's 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 difficult to to see that coming into it or or to to balance the the desire to to push versus the sort of long term reward that you can get out of yeah. this careful process
0: and yeah,
1: certainly I think it's important for people
0: to take away from this talk this discussion we're having right now some some tangible points that they can use. So I think that whole red flag thing about you know if you if you have any doubts while you're warming up or or even when even before you go up put your shoes on and go out the door, maybe you should pay a little better attention to what your body's telling you. I think this you know keeping some kind of a training log that you can look back at and remember because you know we're always thinking about the future or we don't want to look backwards. But if you went back and reviewed your last week or two of training, you might go, oh, that explains this so whatever, whatever whatever I'm feeling, be it yeah. positive or negative. And then another one that I have, um, come to rely on quite a bit, um, just blanked on what it is.
1: <laughs> just, um, geez, I was just thinking of this. Um, well, I'll fill in the blanks while you're thinking, I, I think your first point is really, um, really salient. And I, I tell that to all the people I work with, basically let motivation be your guide in your mm-hmm. because again, sort of making a a, a a a well-based assumption that we're all you know pretty pretty driven to toward our goals and toward our you know personal improvement with this sort of stuff. You know, if you wake up in the morning and you're not psyched, you know, and and you can you can tell like there's a difference between waking up and not being psyched because the workout that's on your plan or that you're you're thinking to do is is one that's going to it's going to hurt. You know, it's going to it's going to be challenging. You know, there's a difference between approaching something with tre- and having some trepidation versus waking up and just having that kind of whole body. I just want to lay on the couch, mm-hmm. and you know, and that, as you said, like that. Those are pretty. If you if you listen to them, your body gives pretty loud signals, mm-hmm. and, and your brain gives them on behalf of your body, basically. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, you're you're smarter than you let yourself know, <laughs> yeah. and and I think you know using that metric of being led by your motivation is a can, if you're honest with it, it can be a good, it can be a good tool to yeah. sort of keep yourself keep yourself from overdoing it. So I, I recalled what I was going oh, to bring yeah. up
0: because it's it, I think this is another takeaway that people can actually you know can use this in your training. I use it all the time. Is that if you find yourself suddenly. Performing at another level, you know, at the, you know, the higher, much higher level than you're used to, like, ooh, like every workout this yeah. week has felt incredible, or you've had just these... A, a couple string of A's. string of A's, or, you know, whoa, I am eight minutes faster to that rock than I normally am on my, you know, two-hour run. That is a time to say, I need to back off. Yeah. Because you are at a peak, um, you know, maybe it's only a short-term temporary peak... But your body has, through, through the process of training and, and resting and recovering, you, your body has adapted to allow you to perform at a higher level than, it's, than it or you have ever performed before. And I think it's important to recognize that, that if you're at that level, the chances that you're going to get better in the future are almost zero because you're, almost the only, you're at the peak. The in, the you, yeah, in the short term. In the short term, yeah. yeah. And the only the, in, in, in the short term, the only place you can go is down. Yeah, yeah. So when I hear that from the athletes that I coach, and what certainly worked well working with you, is when we would see these incredible results, I'd say, we're going to have a couple of really easy days, two or three easy days. I want to let this stuff soak in, yeah. and we're going to go back to some base training, and we're going to stop whatever this speed work is, or whatever we were doing that has suddenly whipped you into this you know, peak shape. I don't want you to be in that peak shape until it's time, you know, until the appropriate time. And one of the, on that, with regards to that one, I was at a coaching uh, conference in um, 2012 uh, and Alberto Salazar, who now I think has probably been disgraced, but um, at the time was coaching probably two of the best distance runners in the world, Mo Farah and Galen Rupp, and who had phenomenal races in, um, in the London Olympics and he was talking about this was after the London Olympics. It was, it was the next um, spring, I believe, yeah, next May. And he was talking about their preparation um, for the the Olympics, and what they had done was they were living uh, they were living in um, Park City. Uh, so about eight thousand feet in Utah, and then they would do some of their distance work up there, easy days up there. But all of their speed work and hard workouts, they would drive down to Salt Lake and do them at four thousand feet. Mm. And he said in the, in the final, then they 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 stayed there until just a week before the Olympics, and they flew to London. And one of the one of the workouts they did, I think it was mile repeats on you know on the track at the university there in in Salt Lake, and. Um, they, he noticed that both of them were faster than... He was timing. They don't know the time. He's standing on the side with a stopwatch. That both of them were running faster than they had ever run. Because um, this, this, they'd done this workout many times over. And suddenly, oh my God, these guys are going really fast. And he, so he lied to them. And he told them, he, 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 made it, he told them that their time was slower than it was. Mm-hmm. Did not want them to feel like they were in peak shape then. And then he actually programmed in kind of a a lighter recovery week because he wanted them to think, oh, I'm tired. I'm tired, so I, need I better, to rest, I better yeah. rest before the Olympics. Yeah. And because if he had told them, man, you're just you know you're on fire, <laughs> and then he told them to rest, they would have you know been it might have come been come on, I got to
1: you know, strike while resistance. the iron's hot. Yeah, and yeah. if
0: you remember those races, I mean, Mo Farah won gold medal in the five and ten thousand meters yeah. at those races. So um, you know, a little trickery on the part of the coach can even you know be useful. Now, if you're coaching yourself, you can't trick yourself.
1: Oh, totally. Well, that and God, I remember and I know you have your own experiences of, of overtraining, uh, you know, and, and sort of learning how to train and coaching yourself. And I remember it was, it was what, it was what preceded us starting to work together is that I was living in Montana and I had just finished college and I you know had this dream of becoming a, a ski racer and, 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 you know, whatever level, level I could get. And I was just giving myself the training and I I had that experience of over the course of this summer I don't know how much what the increase had been it was some dr- very dramatic increase in training volume and intensity and you know and all the rest and I you know I was doing it all on my own with you know with an iPod full of heavy metal and I remember there was a period of time in the late summer early fall where I was just on, just on, in for my own way, like on fire, you know. I was yeah. beating times up these little time trial courses that I had, and and I didn't know any better. I thought like, oh great, I'm finally getting fit, mm-hmm. and and I just I just ate it up. I and kept you just doing kept more and more. more. like, yeah. if, if some is good, clearly you know I've been doing a lot, so more must be better. Yeah. And uh, and then you know, of course, you know the the punchline that the wheels completely came off, and I had no clue what had happened. Yeah. I thought I'd gotten sick. I yeah, I just and. And then, of course, you know, I remember talking, you know, calling, calling you and laying it out for you as, as what I thought was this, you know, complete enigma. Like, I don't know if Scott can crack the code. And I, you probably laughed. It's like, oh, you cooked yourself. Is yeah. that, because it's, like, it's as clear yeah. as day. And uh, But, you know, that, it's, it's so alluring to, to yeah. feel that way and to want to keep going. And, you know, and even, and it, and it's not uh, it's not absent in the coaching process either. I mean, it's you know, as as you've talked about, we've talked about this and written about it. Like the the coach athlete relationship is is truly a relationship, and you're yeah. you're invest you are investing yourself in this person's success, and you know, not not necessarily success on paper, but just their 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 personal success, their sense that they've accomplished something, that they're performing better, and, and you you want them to get there and you have this this personal connection with them and it's difficult to to also, you know, to see someone achieving, you know, these these better and better marks and and to to rein them in but it's that's it's so important to that to that process to do so and to have those conversations like hey, I know you're feeling fantastic uh or, you know, just being a reflection to mm-hmm. them. Of, of what 's going on, and, well, you and were a that pathetic guidance. little puppy when you came to me, I remember it very
0: distinctly, and, and I had seen this before, so I was kind of I was pretty aware I mean I knew instantly what had happened, and i 've had this conversation now with you know dozens of athletes who end up in a similar situation of you know and i mean i the reason I knew about it is that I had done it to myself
1: um, well, I remember that you, that was the first thing you told me,
0: yeah, and I did that to myself in um the, the summer and fall of 1987 before the uh, Olympics in 1988. And I had come off of an incredible season in 1987 and skied some, skied at the pre-Olympics, um, which is kind of like they, they go to the venue where in this case, it was at, in Canmore, Alberta, outside of Calgary, where they go there and kind of all the skiers get to race and test out the, the race courses the year before. And so I'd had ended that season on a very high note and thought, okay, I'm just, going to go after it and so that summer I, I spent quite a bit of time skiing in Australia um, and skiing a lot and doing a lot of I did a lot of races, I did a lot of hard training. I came back uh, I was living in Bend, Oregon at the time and we could usually then start getting on snow by late September so I only had about a, you know a few week or a month break where I wasn't actually on snow and went back out and started you know hammering out the hard training again and, and I was feeling like I was on fire and it lasted through the, up till almost Christmas, like the middle of December. And Christmas, I was, the Christmas star. I was to the <laughs> definition of a Christmas star. I and mean, in those early season races, you know, I was in the top five in, in the U.S. in every single one of the big tryout races I was in. And of course, I'm, and I, so I thought, okay, this is going really well. And then something happened um, over Christmas. I thought something is, I didn't know what it was, but something was going on. And I just started feeling weaker and weaker and weaker. And in January, we were at the Olympic tryouts and my best place was 47th place. I mean, I was walking. I was oh, so... Yeah. I mean, it, it's so demoralizing. And, de- and at the oh, time, yeah. I didn't know. I mean, I thought it was some medical thing. And, and um, you know, because I'd never even heard of overtraining. And um, now, you know, I was a poster boy for it. Um, yeah. But I think it's, you know, now that I've seen it, and as people probably are aware, I've written a copious amount on this because I, it's, I feel like it's my... Mission in life to kind of keep people away from pushing themselves over that cliff because once you go over that cliff It's as you know, it's really ugly. Yeah. I mean, there's no way you get back This is not and we'll probably have to do another talk just on overtraining I think it's a, a, I think it's such an important topic even though I've written a lot about it but Once you find yourself in the ditch with the wheels off like you did that year I remember how pathetic it was. You came to me, you know, I tell you what's going on. And then you say, well, how do I fix it? Right. In time
1: for in time for national championships. Yeah, and, in, and, in, in a month. And if I recall,
0: <laughs> you you went to nationals. Even I think I even told you don't bother. You did, yeah.
1: yeah and, don't and bother. I thought no, I'll, I, I was performing so well. A month and a half, i will yeah, be fine. I'll get it back. I'll yeah, get it back. Uh, and then uh, I remember
0: seeing so you so at, at oh, nationals, yeah. and I wasn't coaching at that time. But you, I think you came into the, one of the wax rooms I was working in, and and you just had that hang dog look, of, like, oh god, lower yeah. lip hanging down, like was, what's wrong with me? And it was terrible. I mean, it's like yeah, it's it's all borderline. Suicidal, almost when you feel so bad <laughs> about what you've done. So, anyway, we'll we'll do another talk one day about that. But that you know that's the ultimate. Like, and maybe this is a good way to wrap up this podcast because that's the ultimate end if you are become a slave to your training plan. Yeah, if you don't. Take the time to learn how to monitor your training and then control it and take some of these things these ideas we've we've tried to give you today to um, help you you know steer around this a little bit. You can end up in that same ditch or going off that same cliff that you know too many other athletes have done, and so i, I you know I caution people to you know that's you know i'm i'm much more conservative now as a, you know as well, I'm a lot older but i'm much more conservative in my approach to coaching people now and and i think people can see that from our you know the inf- the training information we give in our books and the plans that we build on our website they're pretty yeah. pretty conservative in their approach because you know in those cases we don't know who's going to be buying them and using them and um you know we're not expecting that you shouldn't buy one of our training plans and then think you're going to go out and be Killian Jornet.
1: Well, and even and even in the coaching, I mean, I I say that very explicitly up front with any athlete that I start with, regardless of their training background or what their goals are, uh, I say, you know, we're going to start conservatively because I don't know. I I know a little bit about you now. We've had a phone conversation and you sent this in from, but I don't I don't have a full grasp of who you are as an athlete and how you respond to things. And and you know, we need to. We need to start that process, and and you know trust that over time, because it's a it's it's a it's a long term process to build. Yeah. Over time, you are gonna you know you will be able to achieve you know improved performances, and a like, you know careful train. That's exactly what careful training does. Is that yeah. you, you get better, uh, but it's it's the careful part is is the critical. And I would sort of to tack on to your sort of takeaway points for people. The one another one I would add is um Having a devoted rest day uh, yeah. each week, you know i think there's there's nuance there, and you know we 'll often talk about the idea of maybe you know maybe it 's active recovery a thirty minute jogger but I think it you know it's i think it's important for people, especially as you're sort of learning how to sort of embark upon training uh you know, as a as a process to plug in that that one day a week that is dedicated rest it's it's not you know it's not the easy hike or the casual bike ride with friends it's, it's actual rest mm-hmm. because you know like what we talked about with overtraining or anything else you know you you can ignore or sort of turn your head away from some of those warning signs when you're actively training because you expect that you're going to feel a little bit tired mm-hmm. in your in your training you know at the end of that at that run or or the ski you know your legs are going to be tired and you can just sort of chalk it up to training and not knowing that some of those things you're feeling are are perhaps more chronic than you're willing to admit but on a rest day if you if you take that complete day off of exercise you know and maybe maybe you you know you get the massage or you do some foam rolling and those those symptoms or those those warning signs come more to the surface Mm -hmm. when your body gets the sense even once a week you know for just a day that it has an opportunity to rest it it might very well tell you how much it needs that rest, <laughs> yeah. and and then that can give you this just this reset to consider. Oh, I'm I'm way more tired from last week's training than I thought I should be. Maybe tomorrow's you know start of the week and muscular endurance workout in the morning isn't isn't the best way to go. Yeah. And that's you know either from a self coach standpoint that's valuable, and and also from from the coaching standpoint. You know, I with with pretty much all of my athletes, I give the day off because. Partly because I think it's valuable for them physically, but also because it gives us a, a, just a moment of breathing room and, and reflection. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that day, I, you know, I can get the feedback from them like, hey, how are you feeling? Are you psyched for tomorrow? Are you ready to go? And then sometimes when they say, actually, I'm, my legs are still pretty whacked from mm-hmm. asthma. Like, okay, great. Let's, let's take a pause on tomorrow. Yeah. Let's settle it back. And just yeah. having that evaluation point. Is is really critical? I think. Yeah, I do. I completely agree because then it it might be that you need two or three or four or
0: five easy yeah. days to get you know yeah. let all this stuff soak in and this I think to, you know I'll kind of end this because we kind of I think we might have gone over an hour already but um, that training makes you weaker it's the rest that makes you stronger. So it's the combination of these two things. You need to stress your body in training, then you need to allow enough time for the, the training effect to be absorbed by your body and make build some adaptations into it. So I think it's that's one of the messages we, we put out there over and over again. I think people can hear that. Um, so anyway, I think it's just really important to... Don't be a knucklehead, don't think you're Sylvester Stallone or that, you know, you, sh- you don't become a slave to your training plan. I don't care who writes it or, you know, how gifted the coach they are, it needs to be mod- moderated on a daily basis based, you know, based on how you feel. Yeah, totally. So. Agreed. Well, right. thanks a lot, Sam. This has been fun. Yeah. And uh, we'll have to get sit down and do the overtraining one since you and I have... Or um, we have PhDs in overtraining, so uh, I think we could we could have a, a nice conversation we could wax about that in and,
1: depth about that one. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think it's it's such it's so prevalent in our world yeah. with mountain athletes who get get themselves overtrained. So, um, well, thanks everyone for listening. Really appreciate it. Yep. Have a good day, everyone.